Welcome to the GARcast with Cindy Bear, partner with GAR Associates, now celebrating 60 years of providing local governments with unparalleled real estate appraisal consulting. Cindy has been supporting towns and cities across New York State for more than 30 years. The GARcast provides New York property owners with important information about the real property assessment process. And now, here's Cindy. Hi, and welcome to the GARcast. Today we're having um, New York State Assessors Association Executive Director Warren Wheeler uh, joining us today to talk about the association and, and offer some highlights of, of their goals and, and their mission. Uh, welcome, Warren. Uh, how long have you been appraising? I, I didn't ask that previously. Well, good uh, afternoon, Cindy. Thanks for having me. Um, I actually received my appraisal license uh, I think it was 2002. It was okay. right before they went through the big change. Okay. Um, I took the exam. It was Christmas Eve yeah. uh, of 2001. And so I was licensed actually in January after that. So, and how uh, long have you been months. an assessor? Uh, I've been an assessor since 1999. Um, and I was fully appointed to uh, to an actual town January one of two thousand. So I was the I was an appointed assessor in my hometown um, back in the day, and then uh, got the a sole uh, assessor's position in January of two thousand. And then that kind of just snowballed from there, from one to as many as I think I had six at one time, and now I have four. Great. And you were also the former president of the New York State Assessors Association. What year was that, Warren? You were president. It was the 2017 to 2018 uh, term. Yeah. So today we're going to talk to Warren about the association and, and what their mission and vision is. Um, what would you say is the association's mission? Uh, well, the association's mission uh, is to provide training uh, to our members. Uh, most of our members are obviously uh, the working assessors. Uh, we also try to, and hopefully through legislation, improve the tax administration, uh, the policies, implementation, and um, promote professionalism amongst our members and uh, try to shine a different light on what is usually a not so favorable uh, title. Uh, of assessor. And uh, hopefully uh, through all of our work that uh, in our contacts with people, we're, we're changing uh, that notion that assessors are people too. <laughs> yes, absolutely. Um, can you give our listeners a little bit of an overview of the structure of the association, the executive board, the IAO, different committees, and also a little bit about the, you know, education uh, arm, the conference in uh, Cornell, and also the annual fall conference. Sure. Uh, so the association is primarily made up of uh, three uh, different groups, uh, the executive board, the board of trustees, and then the John Way, John Costello Memorial Educational Fund. So the executive board is tasked with the day-to-day -day operations of the association, you know, um, when it comes to financial, when it comes to legislative, when it comes to you know, just the uh, the overall interaction with, uh, you know, with our members, um, you know, representing them, uh, whether it's via the legislative uh, committees or whatever. And so that leads into 
So we got the executive board and then the, the executive board has several committees and, and those committees will run the gamut of, um, you know, we have a memorial committee, we have a technology committee, we have the legislative committee. Um, I'm sure, I mean, there's a lot of committees. So we are, we've been, we've classified ourselves as an association of committees and it takes each committee and each board working cohesively uh, to, you know, to move the uh, organization ahead. So that's the executive board. Then you got the board of trustees. They're primarily tasked with the educational aspect of it. All right. So that's from basic certification all the way up through continuing education. And, uh, you know, as you mentioned, we have, um, we have two big events each year. Uh, that's the Cornell Seminar on Appraising. That's usually in July. And then we have our annual conference and meeting, usually in the fall, depending on the calendar, uh, end of September, beginning of October. And they, uh, the trustees, present and create the, um, the educational uh, structure for those events. And then, of course, for uh, we also have uh, what we refer to as the one-day seminars. So that's the, the three- and six-hour uh, continuing educational um, uh, credits for, uh, for fellow assessors. So NISA was formed uh, in 1940, and uh, the IAO Board of Trustees, which is recognized by the New York State Board of Regents, was incorporated in 1954, I believe. And then the fund came around in the mid-'80s. Now, the fund's goal is basically to help us achieve those other goals, right, uh, with um, uh, financial uh, needs. They formed uh, the fund through donations of our members, uh, raffles and, and stuff like that. And uh, anytime we have needs, and, uh, you know, a couple of years ago, people may remember, we moved into an office uh, in Liverpool. And part of our move, uh, we have a training center. You've seen it, right? It's a, it's a small 18-seat training center. And the fund was uh, played a, a huge role in getting that together. They purchased all the furniture for us, uh, and they purchased the, um, the large display unit that we use um, for teaching as well. So, you know, that was a, that was a huge financial uh, expense that the fund um, uh, provided the money for. So that's it, executive board, board of trustees, and uh, the fund, but to be honest, none of those matter if we don't have the members. And so we have almost 900 uh, members throughout the state and they're uh, the driving force in, in at least what I try to do in, in, uh, in how we keep moving our organization forward. Thank God that they bought that large TV monitor because you've been using <laughs> that a lot. <laughs> I know, it's, it's really, listen, it was, uh, it was a huge expense and um, uh, I was very grateful uh, still to this day, uh, that they were willing to uh, to provide that for us. Absolutely, absolutely. It is it is a wonderful facility, and it um, it really. And we're looking forward to getting back to hopefully <laughs> utilizing it again. You know exactly. Um, when were you named executive director? What year was that? Uh, it's only been since it was December of two thousand eighteen wow. uh, when I officially uh, signed on. Um, so. It was right as I would have been what we refer to as the past president. Um, and they, um, we had, obviously we had a, uh, an opening and they went through the vetting process and interviews and um, they offered me the position in, I don't remember the specific date, but we were actually in your neck of the woods, right? Uh, Dave Morano was holding uh, a joint meeting and that's where they made the announcement and that's where I officially signed the contract. So uh, I don't remember the specific date, but it was, a, it was a good day for me. I was very happy. 
I do remember that. Yes, it was it was great to have you here. What would you say is the most satisfying part of being the executive director? Would uh, yeah, I don't really have an answer for that. I love the job. I mean, there's there's no doubt about it. I don't know what the most satisfying is yet. I can tell you that it's different every day. Um, I can tell you that I miss the, uh, I'm, you know, 2019 wasn't very fun for, or was not uh, 20, wasn't very fun for a lot of us. Um, you know, I just like helping our members and I, and I want them to understand that you may feel like, you know, most, most assessors feel like it's only happening to them or, you know, that the, you know, a certain situation is unique to their neck of the woods. And the one thing I've learned in all these years is that it really isn't that while we are all assessors and we all do relatively the same job, we all tend to do it a little differently depending on what part of the state you're in. Right. Um, you know, like if we, if I throw Scott under the bus, right, he's got a huge town. Uh, so, you know, he does things a lot different than someone like me where I've got my small towns and I don't necessarily have much, if any of a support staff. And so, but we all deal with grievances. We all deal with um, property owners that may not be fully aware of the process and procedures and then the, you know, the assessment calendar and then grievance and all that stuff. Um, so I just like them to know that they have a resource uh, for, you know, any concerns um, that they have or facing, you know, it's, it's, it can be a daunting, especially if you're a new assessor and you really do believe that you're kind of like on this island by yourself. Yeah, I, I and and you're doing a great job. Oh, well, thank you. I mean, listen, it's um, you know, I, well, you know, yeah, thank you. Uh, let, well, we'll I leave think, it at that. I think what I hear from from the assessors is you bring you know the human side to it. So just as you said, you know, understanding different you know. Um, practices and different size of towns and, and, you know, downstate, upstate, this, that, but just being human and, you know, talking to each assessor that they're all very similar issues and concerns they have while their offices might be very different, you know, so, right. so hats off to you. It's not, it's not an easy job. Well, thank you. Um, I appreciate that. Um, you know, we talked a little bit about the pandemic and um, tell me what the um, association had to do and how they adjusted just some overview of the challenges, obviously, we all faced of, you know, couldn't be in person. That's a huge issue for yep. not only the one days, but the Cornell, the conference, kind of just give, give our listeners a little idea of how you, you and the executive board tackled that. And, and yeah, I, I, you know, listen, um, you know, March and April of 2020 was very uh, bleak. I mean, uh, you know, Nobody knew what this was. Nobody knew how long it was going to last. Everybody figured it was going to be over with by summertime. Uh, and nobody anticipated the, uh, the length and, and what people would have to endure. And, and listen, I made it out just fine. Um, but we did have to rethink what it was that we were doing. And in a way of the old business model that we had used for 80 years prior, was no longer going to fit, um, and we, we, you know, we had to rethink. And, and, and it was funny because we're not doing any kind of new technology, right? You know, we're we're doing stuff that's been around. The technology's been there for years, but for whatever reason, and I think just for fear of change and fear of unknown, we kind of were comfortable 
in looking at, yeah, we do one days and we do these two in-person events and that's how we, you know, financially survive. Mm -hmm. Well, what we have found out is that uh, we can survive on an online format and and there was some stumbling along the way. I'm, I'm, you know, I like technology, but I'm not the be all and end all uh, when it comes to this stuff. So, you know, we started with Zoom, we went to WebEx, now we're back to Zoom. And, um, but we found out that 75% of our members that take the, the poll at the end of our one day classes in the fall conference, they're perfectly comfortable with taking classes in person or online. It does not matter to them. But we still have 25% of our members who really do prefer and can't wait to get back to that in-person thing. And so we're trying really hard to offer our educational programs in a way that can cater to everyone. And so we're going to, we see ourselves going forward with having um, what we're calling now the hybrid learning experience, where we can have people in a classroom and we can have people in the virtual world at the same time participating in real time. And uh, we think we've got, uh, we've got it worked out and we're going to be testing it out here in the, uh, in the coming weeks and uh, months ahead. So, uh, you know, I've been, anybody who's taken a one day uh, from us recently has, has heard me explain that process and what to expect. And, um, you know, if, if one thing I can tell you about our members is they've been very, 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 very patient and understanding and knowing that this is, um, you know, we're small, right? There's no, there's no doubt about it as, as far as an operating um, standpoint. We're big as, as far as members go. I mean, having almost 900 or 900 plus members uh, is, is a good sized organization. Uh, and so we're trying to, you know, continue to, uh, to move forward, um, embracing technology that's available and making our, cu- our not our customers, I want to say our customers, making our members comfortable uh, knowing that they can come along with us. Um, and so that's what we're doing. That's great. Uh, we talked a little bit about um, the, uh, Cornell School of Education in July and, and you know, tell us a little bit of how that's going to look this year versus. Yeah. So, you know, like you said earlier, it, it's, it's going to be, it's going to be smaller. Uh, we, we have to maintain um, social distancing protocols. And when we started this to, you know, decide, can we go forward or do we have to hold off another year? We are going to go forward with a 50% uh, capacity. And so we're going to have room for 80 uh, attendees to come in person. Uh, that's going to be, we have five classrooms available at the Hotel Ithaca and they can socially distant seat 16 people. So, you know, that's what we're faced with right now. Uh, but this will be the first Cornell in history where we're offering um I think we're going to do three classes online. So you're going to have 80 people who can attend in person and then however many want to join us uh, online virtually through Zoom. And that'll be, like I said, in that hybrid type of experience where the instructor is live in front of a classroom and there's a, we have a, a producer slash engineer that's going to be taking care of the cameras and uh, the microphones and all that and switching back and forth the views uh, to is, is much replicate the in-person experience that we can 
um, without having to leave the comfort of your home or office. So, yeah, I, I talked to a few assessors and, and, you know, they're anxious to get back to in person, but they understand. Um, and those that really want to be there, you know, I, I'm sure you've already gotten, you know, registrations going and, you know, well, registration is not officially open, uh, but we've been we've been teasing people because of the limited uh, seating capacity, and yes. uh, we're going to be opening registration probably within the week. Wonderful, wonderful. Um, switching gears a little bit, I want to talk about um, the legislative agenda of this for this year for the association. I know sure. Scott and yourself, I believe, addressed. The, um, was it the Real Property Committee or the Local Government Committee back, was that back in the fall? Yeah, I think, um, well, it was Real Property Tax Committee and it might've been Scott. I, I know it was, um, it's been crazy because we haven't been able to do things the way we're used to when we storm the capital of Albany and we get up there and we and we do our legislative action day and, and we meet with all the uh, different members of the uh, assembly and legislature. So it's been done via Zoom um, and legislatively, there's a lot going on. Uh, we just like I, uh, I mentioned, we had a meeting last Friday. Some of the some of the highlights that um, the legislative committee chair, which is chaired by Maggie Alex and uh, past president Shedler is our legislative liaison. They have been working uh, diligently here trying to get um, things uh, going. So we've got several bills. We got the dark store, uh, uh, James Maloney bill is what we refer to it here. It was something that uh, former member uh, James Maloney had a real passion about uh, making sure that dark store valuation doesn't come uh, and, and, and mess around with the um, assessment role as far as equity goes. Uh, so pres then it was President Shedler who, who, who created the task force. So the dark store bill is gaining traction. We have the, the condo bill uh, that the association has a long standing with trying to get past. And I think it goes back maybe even 20 years uh, that they've been trying. And, and now it seems like there's a lot of interest in that. And so uh, if you have condos, you're very familiar with the bill. If you do not have condos, which a lot of us, a lot of our assessors do not, uh, they don't really know what the bill is all about. But to summarize that, you know, you could have two properties, one that has condo status, and it could be 40 to 50% lower in assessment, which means less taxes. Uh, and so we're trying to level the playing field on that. Um, I know I'm missing some because there is so much. Uh, we, we've got a bill that um, incoming president Janine Hill was uh, was behind and instrumental with that uh, we refer to as the mortgage exchange, or excuse me, um, the staggered exchange for appraisals when it comes to article sevens. Basically what this does is it puts the onus on the petitioner. Hey, if you're gonna file um, a, uh, an article seven, you gotta give us an appraisal. Um, and then the towns will have time to answer that appraisal. The way it's written now is that both people, both petitioner and municipality present, get an appraisal. And then usually the petitioner will drop out at the, at the very last moment after the town may have spent thousands of dollars um, for the appraisal. Warren, and, let, me, um, let me just ask you a question about that. Um, I, I, I've discussed with, with several assessors um, about you know, these costs are exorbitant for towns to go to Article 7 and, and these challenges. 
order the appraisal, the attorney's time, all of this. Um, is there any way of challenging a, a petitioner to recoup some of those costs in the event that, you know, they don't produce the appraisal, you know, it was kind of frivolous or um, they end up, um, the town ends up winning uh, and, and securing the, the assessed value. Those costs are exorbitant uh, for towns to, to, to manage. And they're an unknown. Every year you just don't know. And so many assessors are, are frustrated. They end up settling when they don't want to settle because the town just doesn't have any funds. Um, is there any, any discussion with that, adding that piece in there that would say, you know, if you, you know, if you're not successful, or even if you are, the, the, these legal costs have to be um, shared or, you know, recouped? Yeah, so I, I don't know if, I mean, there's definitely been talk about it, right? Um, whether or not I, that it's a, it's a real difficult situation because of it, the appearance of, you know, disallowing due process, I guess, uh, on the petitioner's part. I do believe that some states, although I'm not 100% sure, um, have just that. And I don't know um, which states they were, but there is a mechanism in there. And you're right. You know, um, again, so my experience with Article 7, some small town, my, you know, most of my towns are under 4,000 par, uh, parcels. So when we get an Article 7, I try really hard to settle it quickly because it's, by the time you do the litigation and everything that's involved with all this and being the town that has to share the largest part of the expense for the smallest piece of the pie anyway, it doesn't make financial sense to, you know, to go the distance. Now, that's not to say that it's the right thing to do because sometimes you gotta, you know, on principle and in and take these challenges head on. I know some assessors are, are successful in getting school districts and counties to come to the table and share the expense. That and, and, and that, in my opinion, is really how it should be uh, because you can't, the towns just can't afford to do it alone. You know, it, it's too much. Um, the yeah, appraisals alone on some yeah. of these properties will cost Don't you thousands of dollars. <laughs> oh, what's that? Don't shoot the appraiser, buddy. Yeah, right. Well, yeah. I mean, it's, you know, you so. Do, you got to do the due diligence. That court-ready appraisal is, is a lot of work to it. I, right. I, I'm always interested when I talk to assessors about how they are successful in getting school districts on board, getting the county on board, because some are have no issue with it. Their school districts are totally willing because they get it. I think they understand that if they... Um, lower this, you know, or refunds or anything detrimental, you know, to. Yes, that's, that's the key right there. I think they either get it uh, or they don't. Right. And when they get it, they understand that, you know, the school districts share the, the biggest uh, burden. And when it comes to a refund, you know, that's going to hit them um, really? hard. And so how do you mitigate that? Right. So that's, that's, that's really good. I've been very fortunate. I've had the school district support in the few that I've had. Um, but I know there are assessors, like you said, that they're out there, they don't get that support. And that's unfortunate, you know, and it's, so it's, 
you know, you're taking the chance. What do you do as the assessor? You know, when, when you're in a situation where, you know, and it could be a very difficult property, a specialty property that, you know, listen, I mean, we wear many, many, many hats as assessor. And I, I don't expect all of our assessors to be experts in everything. Um, it's, it's, very, it's very challenging. And so there's a lot of unique properties out there you know, all over the state of New York that require a very specialized uh, individual to put a value on it. And, uh, you know, it becomes a challenge in and of itself. Yeah. Now you're an assessor in four towns and you're also the executive director. So it's beyond a full-time job, as we know. How do you manage that? How do you personally and, you know, time management? Yeah. Uh, well, listen, I mean, let's, let's be honest. Uh, I've got a great person at the NICE office here, uh, Tracy, our communications director. She has come along uh, and made it an easy transition for me. I've got boards that are fully aware and know what an assessor's life is like, um, you know, and basically what it is, is, you're, you know, you're very, this is a very busy time of year for most of us that are on the normal, um, you know, May 1st tentative role. Grievance day is right around the corner. This is, um, you know, it's like uh, if I was a Toys R Us uh, person, this is my Christmas time, except it's just a lot less jovial. That's all right. Um, but really it's a, it's a huge effort on everyone's part to um, pick up the, you know, I didn't mention, but, you know, my boards are all volunteers, right? And uh, they know what it's like, um, but they also know that I'm in it, right? I'm here and I'm going to do whatever I humanly possibly can um, for everybody uh, because I love this organization. And, you know, you and I have talked, uh, we were at a, a fall, con- not a fall conference, but the um, the county director's conference a couple of years ago, I think it was Beaver Hollow, right? That way out in the middle, um, yeah. <laughs> somewhere south of Buffalo, right? And we, yeah. Wyoming. And, and basically, you know, you kind of said the same thing. And it's like, I owe this organization everything. Uh, you know, being an assessor has been how I have provided uh, for my family. And, uh, you know, it was difficult. Um, it's a lot easier for me now because my kids are grown. And so I don't have to worry about trying to fit in Cub Scouts and basketball and dance and, and brownies and all that stuff. So, you know, um, it just means that I work a lot, that's all. But when you really like what you do, it doesn't really feel like work. And it's just, uh, you know, my days go by really, really quickly. I don't look at the clock and say, oh my gosh, it's only two o'clock in the afternoon. I look at my clock and go, oh my gosh, it's already two o'clock in the afternoon. You know, so it's like there, I, my days go by so fast. I couldn't be happier. Um, well, we're thrilled so. to have you. Um, what is, what do you think and you hear from numerous assessors is the biggest challenge to the position today versus, you know, even five, 10 years ago? Yeah. I think the biggest challenge right now um, is, they're being forced to do more with less. Okay. So it could be the town that had a clerk and now the clerk is retired and the town doesn't want to fill that position. 
I've, I know that's happening a lot. I know that with, um, with the restrictions in COVID, that budgets needed to be slashed. And, uh, you know, they always look at the assessor uh, to, you know, to slash their budget. I think training is always going to be um, huge. It's, it's very important, both personally and professionally. You need to challenge yourself and keep moving forward. Um, I think the biggest challenge is, is trying to educate our town boards in the importance and the role that the assessor plays. Uh, and it's not, it's not just, I mean, it's so much more like the, the budgets, uh, you know, uh, dispersing of the, of the taxes that the individual property owners pay. These are huge, huge responsibilities. And the longer, the more time that goes by, you know, assessors need to be appraisers, need to be public relations specialists, customer service representatives, legal um, you know, people that, that have a, a grasp on the law and a law that could be changing, you know, by the time you think you figured it out, uh, you know, it's been changed again. Um, and, and so education and, and working with one another to realize, like I said earlier, that, you know, you're not alone. Uh, the best resource, I think, for an assessor is a fellow assessor. I've, I've said it several times, you know, if you have a question or an issue, bring it to us. I know we've got someone out there that's probably dealt with it already and can offer suggestions on, on how to, you know, to get through that, um, that situation. I think, you know, uh, one of the challenges, and it's, you know, like that for any profession, I would assume, but um, is trying to attract in people to get interested into this. You don't wake up one day and say, I want to be an assessor. <laughs> Yeah, you're right. Like, uh, you know, uh, that's, you know, it, that's not how it happened for me either. Um, you know, you, you don't go to career day and see an assessor, right? And, and why is that? Well, there's a couple of reasons, really. I think, first of all, because you have such varying degrees in size of municipalities, so too is the amount of money that a municipality is willing or able to pay for that position. So, it's really difficult um, to go somewhere and be an assessor and make a living at it. Okay. Some I, you know, the two towns I work for, if I worked for just one of the two towns of the four, I should say, but there's two towns that are really small, I, I can't make a living off of it. Okay. They can't afford uh, to pay any more than they're already paying. That's just the way it is. So, you know, so what do you do? Well, I got in this job. I started out, I, uh, somehow I worked for everybody except Gar. I don't know how that happened, uh, but I, you know, I worked for Colayer Trumbull. I worked for Saber. I worked for Finnegan and then back again. Um, and then I saw that it looked like I could, you know, there's training, there were steps I could take to become an assessor. And I did that. And I'm one of the lucky few, I think that I was able to actually turn this into a career. But for so many of the members, this is part two of their of their career life, right? They're, you know, they somehow they were involved in in towns and municipalities, and there was an opening, and you know, they said, "Sure, I'll I'll give it a try." And um, lo and behold, that turns into five, ten years, or whatever, and you know, they're still doing it. So, but you're right. How do we do that? Well, we've talked about all kinds of things, like what we'd like to do, and I know. 
Uh, we used to reach out to schools and kind of, um, you know, uh, discuss some of the potential things that, you know, that you could do. Um, but again, I think it comes back to trying to educate our town boards um, just how important it is to have somebody in that position uh, that's knowledgeable and, um, and willing to continue to get the training that evolves from one year to the next. And so we, we've talked about mentoring and we've talked about, you know, ways that we could try to do that. I, I don't know outside of what we're already doing, um, which is, you know, the, it's been very limited. I don't know what more we can do because it's not like um, you can say that an assessor is going to make X amount of money after, you know, when you, when you get into a town because of it was being so diverse throughout the state. That's the biggest challenge. Yeah, I've talked to, you know, numerous assessors across the state. Some have used interns, uh, high school students, or um, even a college student, you know, to come in and, and at least that gets them uh, exposed to the, the profession, yep. what it's about. Um, I'm, I'm not followed up to find out have those people, you know, actually, you know, turned into assessors or worked for the office or whatever. Uh, but I think that's a great program. I know some county associations have um, scholarship programs for high school kids. So, you know, they're going on to college and, you know, they potentially remember, oh, I got this $500 scholarship from the Assessors Association. Never really thought about that as a career choice. Right. So um, they're creative ways. Um, I'm not sure how well, you know, that's formulated into something else, into, you know, a long-term uh, career as an assessor. But I know that, you know, like you said, you worked for uh, private contractors. They turn into, you know, assessor positions or we outsource some staff that, um, you know, on a limited basis. And sometimes they end up getting hired by the town, which is great because they, they have a need and they have, you know, it's a great opportunity. Sure. But it's a huge challenge. Um, I know, um, you know, some assessors, our dear friend Sue Otis um, put a succession plan in. I think those are fabulous. Yeah, that's huge. I mean, and, and um, uh, past president uh, Rochelle Harris, that was one of her biggest things too. And she, you know, she definitely did that trying to get, you know, to your town boards to think, you know, you got to think long-term, don't wait until it happens, know what's going to happen. And uh, on, an, on a side note, just um, in the last, uh, well, two years, about the time when I started, we've gotten almost, uh, we've gotten over 200 new members, you know, so we've had quite a few people who have retired, uh, you know, and that's only going to um, continue because um, we did a poll before I was president and we found out that our median age was, you know, it was pretty high. So we were an aging uh, profession then. And so eventually you're going to have to replace that with, um, with newer folks. And uh, it's starting to happen. You can see it. We're speaking today with New York State Assessors Association Executive Director Warren Wheeler. We're talking about the association, its goals, its missions, uh, some of the challenges with assessors. Um, I'd like to just kind of wrap up with um, where do you think this is this profession is going in New York State? The assessment offices in New York State. Um, you know, I know some counties assist a lot for the assessment offices, and others don't. Um, that's a big variable. We all know that. 
um, you know, is there a hybrid approach? Is there more going to be more shared services? What do you think, you know, the future is, is going to look like for the assessors and the, you know, assessment offices? Well, if I, if it'd be nice if I had a crystal ball, right? So I could sit here and tell you for sure. Um, but I don't. And so what I can do is, is look at where we were, how we got here, and what do I think is going to happen? Well, I think you're going to find that um, if, if the positions do go unfilled um, and we cannot um, get enough people in, the, in these areas, then, you know, the county is going to have to assist more. We would like to, um, to try to find those people, train these people and, and get, uh, get the assessors, you know, get more assessors in there so that we don't have to worry about that. Because I still believe the, um, the local assessor uh, is the best uh, solution, right? It's easier for the property owners. It's better for the municipalities, more control. Um, and I don't mean control in a negative sense uh, from where they tell the person what to do, but um, local control so that there's, it's easier one-on-one -on -one interaction between the property owner and the assessor. And if the assessor is working for municipal or uh, multiple jurisdictions, uh, it makes it uh, better that way. I think if you were, if they were looking to, um, you know, do the maintenance of equity, if they want to do coordinated assessing programs with caps and stuff like that. Um, but the truth of the matter is we don't know where it's going. Um, and all we can do is, is adapt as, as things come our way. And I'm hoping, like I said, that, uh, if we can change the public's perception and the town board's perception of the assessor, and you know, this is my own personal thought here is like, I've been, like I said, 20 years, I've been the assessor. And the challenge there is that they don't look at uh, you like we're not as important as we are. Right. I'm not saying we're important because I want us to feel important, but I mean, if you look at the the, the responsibilities the assessor has in, in um, maintaining equity and maintaining you know the relations with the taxpayers and all that stuff, and and to have the budget slashed and, and to not replace people and personnel, um, you know, the IAAO has standards uh, for what they think assessment offices should have as far as staffing and all that stuff. And I know uh, that New York is severely under uh, staffed by IAAO standards. And then of course there are wage uh, salary recommendations as well. So will it ever go to full County? Honestly, I don't know. Um, but if we can't find the people uh, to fill the positions, that it might go to county out of necessity. And we don't want that to happen if we can avoid it. Um, just because the uh, we believe, I believe that the losers would be the taxpayers. Um, you know, Oswego County, if it's countywide assessing, you know, you could be an hour away from the, the county seat if it's in the if it's in the county, you know, and and what's gonna happen, you know, people will fall through the cracks, they just won't have uh, that. Scott Shedler says that uh, the people trust. Their local assessor more than um, county and state government. Uh, there was a, a Gallup poll that was out back when we were testifying in front of the state assembly two years ago when we were doing it in person. So 
uh, you don't want to erode that. And uh, how do we enhance that? You know, how do you, how do you continue um, bringing uh, the people closer to the assessor and realizing that, you know, it's just a job that we have to do and, you know, we can do it and we can have a conversation, right? What, what's right, what's wrong and uh, take it from there. But uh, until that happens, you know, that that's going to be a long, it's not going to, it's not going to be something that can happen overnight. Well, they've been well, talking about, about countywide assessing for a long time. And, yeah. Um, and and, and so I think some of the smaller counties, I mean, geographically um, and number of um, communities, it might make sense or it might work. And in a lot of those counties, there could be four assessors for the whole county. Um, right. You know, so it, it's sort of a hybrid. They're already kind of doing it in a little different uh, scenario. But um, yeah, I think it, I, I agree with you. I think that a local resident wants to go to their local town hall and talk to their assessor. I, I agree with you. And in some of the larger counties geographically, like us, we go, it, it would be prohibitive. You know, to, right. To, well, yeah, I'm pretty sure. Uh, my county of Oswego did a study uh, for the fees of financial feasibility of doing countywide assessing, and they determined it was actually going to cost them more. And they, those came out. I think the the state had a, a grant for these counties yes. to go. And yes, and many of them did did the study, and most of them, I believe, came you know came to fruition that it would be more costly. Right. So, yeah, I, I agree. Is there anything else, Warren, that you'd like our listeners to know about the about NISA and about you know the assessment profession that we really haven't talked about? Is there any other any other point you'd like to make? No, I think we. I mean, I think we covered it all. I you know just know that um, you know I came from small town assessment. That's you know kind of where. Um, my decision-making and thought processes from. And when I first started, I really thought that anything that was happening to me was unique to me. And, you know, how dare I say anything to anybody because uh, it would just, um, it wouldn't go well. But I'm trying to to get people to be comfortable in saying that, listen, um, hey, I don't understand this, or what do you think about that? This is a really, you know, I've got, like I said, three great boards that are uh, really, really keen on helping people out um, and know that this is a, uh, a non-competitive uh, type of a, a organization now where I think maybe 15, 20 years ago, it might've been a little bit more competitive where I don't want to, you know, I don't want to show my cards too much because I, I want, uh, I need a job too, you know? And I think, um, I think we're getting away from that. And I'm hoping that People understand that by being a member of this organization, you have access to a wealth of knowledge. You know, like you said, Sue Otis has been an assessor for a really long time. And, you know, there's there's um, NISA royalty, as I refer to it. You know, you've got uh, Tom Fry and, um, you know, you got Kathy Conklin. You've got all these people who are there that we can we can ask, and you got Scott Shedler, who just is unbelievable in his passion for wanting to help members. It's 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 contagious, you know, and it's um, it's it's just it's a it's remarkable to be a part of, and uh, well, it's fun. Well, and I'm always amazed at how um, 
exactly that you're saying. They're all willing, every member on the executive board, every everyone you talk to, you've got an issue or somebody's got a problem and, you know, they pull together, they find the resources for, you know, this, this assessor or that assessor. And I, I'm always... It, it's very um, heartwarming, you know, that they, yeah. they feel that way about it. And they really, and I think new members that come on the executive board that maybe aren't familiar with, you know, the association and, and they, they get um, nominated and they get elected and they, they're on the board. I think they come out finding that, oh my gosh, this group is so passionate and so compassionate about this profession Oh, and for it, sure. It just changes the whole dynamic, you know? So. Yeah. Yeah. I, you know, it's, you know, I, so I was on, I don't even know when I became, when I got on the board, I was on the board for a long time and um, it was probably at that point, it was definitely the highlight of my career uh, being with that group um, all the way up through. And even now, I mean, it's, it's amazing. And it's, so you got, the three boards and uh, it's like a, a family, like you wouldn't believe in that they really are there for all the, the assessors that have these questions. And because it's like, you know, when you're a, if you're in a small municipality and you don't deal with it all the time, you know, it's something else. Now Lloyd, Lloyd is in this uh, city of white plains and he has a lot of commercial property, right? So we, uh, you know, Lloyd was there to challenge um, when we were speaking at the Department of Tax and Finance about uh, equalization rates and um, getting them out quick enough so that the assessors could have a, an opportunity to agree or disagree with them. But they, you know, and, and Lloyd was was instrumental in, in showing them how they really were um skewing the number a little bit or the way that they were choosing, you know, they, they were lumping everything together. And, and Lloyd is like, well, listen, you got to look at apartments this way, you know, in commercial, you know, you know, non-apartments this way. And it was amazing. Uh, and then, you know, they had, uh, it was department of tax and finance, you know, he, they were listening, you know, and, and so that's the one thing that, that really started when Scott got on the board is, is getting this association the recognition to be um, an ally for legislative issues, where before it felt to me as if we weren't even being uh, questioned, right? It was everybody had these ideas, just yeah. do it, and the assessors will do it, even though we're like, hey, we don't think it's gonna work the way you want it to because of this and that. Um, you know, we're on. We use the term front lines all the time. So um, and just for our listeners, Lloyd is Lloyd Tash. He's our current uh, NISA president of the association. Yes. So. Yes. Thank you. I always, <laughs> I don't use people's full names because it's just, just Lloyd to me, but yeah. yes, Mr. Lloyd Tash, IAO is our current, um, uh, current uh, president of the association. And uh, it's been interesting uh, the last couple of years, just, you know, because they're big towns that, you know, Scott and Lloyd. Um, and I think I, I'm pretty sure Lloyd told me that he's got a really high percentage of commercial. He doesn't have a lot of residential. And so he's got condos, you know, and, and then there's tax reps and stuff like that. It's got everything. Um, and just one final um, uh, note I'd like to make, if you could just describe for our listeners what this IAO designation is and what it means. Um, sure. 
I think that's an important point. Yeah. Yeah. So, all right. So um, I mentioned earlier that the board of uh, trustees was recognized by the New York state board of regents in 19, whatever, 53. I had to look at my notes because uh, 1954, uh, but it's a, it's a, um, a designation recognized by New York state as the level of professional assessor. So you need to have a certain amount of years of experience uh, in the assessment field or evaluation field. And then there is um, a very extensive exam. Uh, I took mine in 2000, I think it was 2004. And uh, it just shows that, you know, you're taking it, at least for me, I, I took it. It's, it's the equivalent to me as a college degree in my mind. I didn't go to college. I, I, everybody who knows me knows that now. I don't, I'm not revealing anything that's, um, that should be too shocking to anybody. Um, I made it uh, aware at one of my uh, speeches before or during my presidency. I can't remember which. So this was the thing that I did for myself to hold myself to a higher standard. And, and then listen, I'm not saying that because I have this, I'm any better than anybody who doesn't have it. That's that's not it, right? That's not it at all. Um, there's many people I consider uh, way more intelligent than I am that do not have the IEO. But it is a way of conveying um, to yourself, to your town boards, to your taxpayer that you know you've gone uh, to the next step. And uh, that's what it is. So it's a it's a designation recognized by the state of New York, um, and they refer to it as the professional um, assessor. Thank you. And by the way, we are holding that class. We have a class this year. It's going to be a Cornell for those who wish to challenge the exam. Um, it's a class that runs the gamut of everything, and it's you know everything from legal exemptions, valuation. Uh, you know, you name it. It's it really is all encompassing. It is, and I've known several that have had to take it a few times. Yes, um, <laughs> that's that's quite all right. Um, just, and a final note: what is the website for the for NYSA? Sure, it's nyassessor.org, and it has everything that I kind of talked about today. It gives you the dynamics of the executive board, board of trustees. The fund information is on there. We've got all of our informational for information for the one days. Um, soon registration will be up there for Cornell and the fall conference. Um, it has a place on there. You can uh, submit uh, inquiries if you have any questions uh, for us. Um, you know, basically, it's anything assessor related. Uh, you'll find it there. And there is a link on the website to, um, to the state, to the ORPS website talking about qualifications of the assessor. We've, yep. we've, yeah, so that's on there as well because those have changed over the years and there's yep. different requirements. And so I think for property owners that may be listening to this podcast, I think it's important for them to know what the credentials are and what the background right. is. Um, right. So I think that's a very important point. So Warren, thank you so much for your time. It was a great conversation and we look forward to the next time and we'll pick another topic. Oh, sounds delightful. Thank you. It was my pleasure. I'm really glad we got to do this. Thanks so much and uh, look forward to the next GARcast. You've been listening to the GARcast with Cindy Bear of GAR Associates, committed to a level of performance that enables our clients to meet the needs of their clients. 
For more information, visit garappraisal.com. That's garappraisal.com. And join Cindy Bear for the next edition of the GarCast.